Thank you. Good morning. May it please the court. I'm Stephen Fiebiger on behalf of appellant Tori Evans. Evans seeks reversal of summary judgment of her claims under the ADA for discriminatory discharge, failure to provide reasonable accommodation, and retaliation, as well as her FMLA entitlement and discrimination claims. Evans challenges the district court's upholding CRC's imposition of attendance points based on, one, CRC's policy requiring notification of both her supervisor and human resources of her intention to take FMLA leave when CRC had actual notice. Two, not receiving an opportunity to show that her absences in March of 2017 prior to her discharge were FMLA-related. Three, determining that her absences from July 11th to 15th of 2016 were for unrelated medical issues when she called in for FMLA, saw her doctor for symptoms related to her autoimmune flare-up disorder, and the doctor testified he did not see her for a knee injury on that day. And fourth, that she was deemed to have exhausted her FMLA leave that was allotted by CRC for use of her flare-ups when she called in for FMLA when she had over six weeks remaining at the time of her discharge. With respect to her FMLA discrimination and ADA retaliation claims, she satisfies the causation connection of the prima facie case by the temporal proximity of her protected request for FMLA leave on March 10th, 2017, and her discharge shortly thereafter on March 27th. Additionally, genuine issues of material fact exist for pretext for Evans' FMLA discrimination and ADA discharge and discrimination claims. Finally, genuine issues of material fact exist under failure to accommodate claim that should be resolved by a jury. I'd like to first look at the FMLA entitlement claim and indicate that the district court erred granting summary judgment on this claim by ruling that she failed to give notice of her intention to take leave on October 17th of 2016. The record's clear that she did call CRC and give notice of her intention to take FMLA leave by advising her manager, Carrie Wiley, of her need to take FMLA. The records show that she was pre-approved for PTO the second half of the afternoon from 1 to 4, but not granted the FMLA leave for the morning hours of 8 to noon, I think it was. This is Judge Smith. If I understand correctly, the company's policy for obtaining FMLA was a two-step process. There were two notices to be given, one to the supervisor and one to HR. Were both of those complied with? Not on this occasion, on October 17th. But, Your Honor, I think that's just the point here with respect to the actual notice issue. The regulation governing notice of intent to take FMLA is 29 CFR 825.303C, and that is indicating that an employer can 
require their employees as a usual custom and policy to designate an individual or a specific number. It doesn't go beyond that. It basically uh, allows that those particular uh, individuals or number be designated, but it doesn't allow for multiple layers of call-ins. And the, the result by doing so is that it, it circumvents the ability of employees like Ms. Evans to uh, take reasonable medical leave when, when they call in. And, and here, I think it's important to point out that the district court didn't find that uh, Ms. Evans hadn't provided actual notice. It found that she didn't comply with their policy. And there's really a difference because the law requires that she provide actual notice of her intention to take the FMLA leave. And she did that in this instance. So it's our position are you, that- Are you familiar with our Garrison versus Dalgencorp case from 2019 that addressed the uh, policy of a company that required notice to both a, a uh, supervisor and to uh, HR? Not, Your Honor, I, I now is not, not specifically. I, I make the same argument in any event, uh, Your Honor, that uh, the requirement for multiple layers of calling notice uh, exceeds the parameters of the regulation as well as uh, the FMLA when the employer has actual notice of the- Well, counsel, do you have circuit court support for that argument from anywhere? I, I do not, Your Honor, other than the uh, what, what we cited in, in our brief. Um, it's it's uh, the interpretation that we're advancing. Well, even the, even the regulation says an employee must comply with the employer's usual and customary notice and procedural requirements for requesting leave. So if it's a two-part two usual and customary, why wouldn't... Uh, why wouldn't that be just fine? I think the, the concern, Your Honor, is that the intent of the uh, notice uh, provision is to provide notice of intention to take FMLA leave. Um, she's required to give notice of her qualifying reason or uh, that she wants FMLA leave. And it's our position that she did that on that occasion uh, where she called in uh, to one or the other, whether it was HR and not her supervisor or calling her supervisor and not HR. And there's other uh, circumstances in uh, Ms. Evans' employment that we set out in the brief. I think it was in June of 2016, and then there was an October 11th, 2016, where she was approved for <clears throat> uh, FMLA leave by calling just one or the other. And I think that's indicative of the company acknowledging that it had actual notice of her uh, desire to take FMLA leave and granted it on those dates where the specific letter of the policy was not uh, adhered to. So it's our position that the company shouldn't pick and choose when to enforce the uh, policy uh, like they did here with Ms. Evans, and, and it cost her the uh, event point that added up to her uh, discipline uh, total, uh, eventually uh, contributing to her uh, 10 points for the discharge. Um, 
Another uh, piece that I think relates to the FMLA leave issue is the district court's finding that Ms. Evans' uh, absences for July 11th through the 15th of 2016 were for unrelated medical issues. Uh, the record presents uh, sufficient evidence from which a jury could find that uh, Ms. Evans uh, was off for FMLA leave uh, for that time frame. July 11th specifically, <clears throat> she had gone in to see her doctor, Dr. Angstman, and he saw her in the clinic. There's a clinic note that reflects that. She uh, displayed uh, mouth sores. Uh, she had other symptoms from her autoimmune disorder at that visit. And the doctor testified in his deposition that <clears throat> this visit on July 11th was not related to a knee issue or a potential knee issue. Yet the district court uh, found that that entire week was unrelated to her FMLA leave because she had gone for an orthopedic consultation later in the month on July 28th uh, that was recommended by Dr. Angsman. But there's no medical evidence that connected uh, her knee issues in uh, the week of July 11th to the 15th uh, to the uh, orthopedic visit that was uh, later in the month. And more importantly, there was no medical uh, evidence connecting uh, the district court's finding that her uh, time off from July 11th to the 15th were for unrelated medical uh, reasons rather than for FMLA uh, autoimmune condition. Her doctor uh, had also submitted a letter uh, of June 12th uh, excusing her from work. And the onus, I think, is up to the employer to ask for some kind of clarification. They could go back eventually and ask for recertification as to whether her leave time was really FMLA related, but they didn't do any of that. Instead, they just imposed uh, event points that ultimately uh, added up to her uh, discharge. Um, I'd like to just touch briefly on some of the issues of pretext that we think are evident in the case. Um, number one, Ms. Evans was not provided a final written warning prior to her discharge on March 27th. The facts are set out in the brief, but essentially she had called in on March 22nd, uh, was having issues with her voice. She had a fever. I don't understand how that's pretextual evidence. Well, I don't think the district court did either. No, the district court did not. <clears throat> but it is pretext, Your Honor, because the company policy requires that when an employee reaches nine event points, uh, they're entitled to receive a final written warning. And it's for good reason. So the, the employee knows that they're at nine event points and, and one more point will trigger a discharge or put them on the cusp of discharge. Here, for Ms. Evans, <clears throat> Uh, apparently, that's pretext. Pretext has to suggest has to has to be something that that suggests a discriminatory motive. Uh, the the fact that that someone gets fired peremptorily, uh, when in most situations the employer does, follows a different a different route, uh, it really has nothing to do with 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 underlying motivation. What 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 case has ever said? Lack of a final warning uh, in, is pretextual. 
as opposed to just a, an employer's uh, decision that it's allowed to make with respect to and and uh, you know employees. The case law, Your Honor, uh, does say that when a company does not follow its regular policy for an employee, that can be evidence of pretext, and that's that's what happened here with respect to the final written warning. Um, it's our position. Had, hadn't she received two final written warnings in close proximity to this time anyway? She had received a final written warning on November 9th of 2016, and and that's that raises an interesting point, Your Honor, because. The, the draft final written warning that CRC supposedly was going to give to her uh, had a November 9th date as her last event point. And so it had no new event points reflected on the draft March 23rd final written warning. And under the company's own policy, the event point of January 2016 should have rolled off. So she should have lost a point by the time the final written warning came off. And I think this also lends to the pretext argument that by not getting her final written warning, Ms. Evans had no opportunity to assess what her status was or, or challenge whether she had the proper number of event points uh, attributed to her or not under the company's policy. The one in January should have rolled off, but that wasn't reflected even on the draft form that uh, purportedly was, was prepared and was going to be given to her. Um, and, and more importantly, there was no urgency to fire her. Uh, they could have uh, contacted her doctor or had her contact the doctor for some more uh, certification of whether the, the last events in March were related to her FMLA uh, condition, but, but they didn't. They fired her. And once she was fired, she lost her rights to uh, follow up with the FMLA uh, uh, recertification uh, as indicated by the case law that, that exists. I see my I'm sorry, go ahead. I was I was just about to alert you to your time, uh, I, but I noticed it. And, and I would reserve the balance for rebuttal. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Mr. Stenmo. Good morning, Your Honors. Uh, my name is Greg Stenmo, and I'm here on behalf of the Pelly Cooperative Response Center. Uh, first thing I want to do is acknowledge my partner, Catherine Short, who did an exceptional job of briefing on this case. Uh, she would be arguing this case this morning, uh, but she's at home with a new baby, so I'm, I'm here in her stead. Um, Judge uh, Smith, you'd mentioned the Garrison case. I am familiar with that case, and I think it is particularly poignant in this situation because the, the ruling in that case uh, where Your Honor was involved it was a firm summary judgment and uh, Dollar General had a two-step process to request leave, notify the manager, and then notify a third-party leave administrator, and uh, this court uh, approved that uh, process. Um, with regard to the July uh, knee injury, the orthopedic specialist who examined Evan's knee uh, noticed that she had been experiencing knee pain for six weeks, and he said, quote, has been doing some gardening. She thinks it may have come from uh, that. And then the orthopedic surgeon uh, concluded his examination by saying, quote, I do not believe the patient's symptoms in the right knee are due to her reactive arthritic changes. 
I believe working in the garden may have irritated the knee. And then notes from the July 11 appointment say nothing about a knee injury. And uh, the note from the doctor on July 12 say nothing about those abscesses being FMLA uh, related. Um, I'd like to spend the so, balance. Counsel, counsel, before you move on, would you address a little bit more that 7-11 um, date in terms of what actually, uh, was there any uh, leave request made for the absence due to the doctor visit on 7-11? Um, let me look. I, I don't, let me look to see. I don't believe so. Um, she, re uh, she reported that her knee had given out. She didn't say anything about FMLA. And Ms. Evans was quite schooled on how to say something is related to FMLA. We have a number of notes, emails and things when it was email related or FMLA related, she would say that. The only thing that she reported was that her knee had given out, uh, which doesn't tie it to her reactive arthritis. And then we received confirmation from her doctors saying that, no, it had nothing to do with her reactive arthritis. Does, uh, does your company have, or your, your client, uh, uh, did the company have any um, uh, policy or program for enabling employees to cure deficiencies in their FMLA uh, uh, processing in terms of making sure their notices are, are adequate or being uh, educated on the uh, uh, necessity of, of, of notifying both the supervisor and HR and, and why that was a, an important part of your policy other than just creating hoops? Yes. Um, so w what happened was um, there, there was testimony in the record that Nancy Morrison uh, plus another uh, supervisor had talked to her on several occasions and asked her, you know, Tori, do you need some additional uh, FMLA? And she repeatedly said no. And then uh, we have in the record where she was uh, notified in writing on several occasions that she had exhausted her FMLA. Um, and so it was put in note, on notice in writing that she had exhausted her FMLA. And um, uh, she certainly had the opportunity to go back to her doctor and ask for more FMLA. She didn't do that. In fact, the company um, during the course of 2016 and four times went to her doctor to get uh, certification. The most recent time was in October of, of 2016. Uh, and the doctor never increased her um, FMLA uh, certification. And I think it's also an important point is that uh, even after her termination, um, Ms. Evans went to see her doctor and she complained about being fired and her doctor never uh, changed her certification um, and, and said, gee, you know, she really should have had more FMLA or she should have really been uh, granted more time or duration. Um, so her doctor had an opportunity to increase it. She had an opportunity to increase it. We reached out to her. We told her that you're, you're exceeding your, your time. We asked her, you need more time. And uh, she uh, didn't take advantage of those opportunities. Mr. Stimno, when, when the termination occurred, did she have FMLA leave on the books? She, she did, 
she had more FMLA leave on the books, but she had exceeded the time that she had been certified for. Uh, and what's, I think, important is that those, those last couple of absences that uh, ended her employment, uh, that uh, she has never claimed that those absences were FMLA-related to this day. Uh, she had an opportunity in her deposition to say that. She had an opportunity in the uh, declaration that she submitted to the court to do that. She had, her doctor had an opportunity to say that uh, after her termination in his deposition. At no time has she ever said that those last absences were FMLA related. Now, her, uh, uh, her physician recommended that she have two full days and two half days, if I recall, uh, what was uh, recommended by the uh, physician. Uh, on 8-12, uh, she was given a half point uh, or, or took a half point. Uh, could, was it possible to combine the two half points to make a full day or could the half points only be used on different days? Yeah, the half points could only be used uh, on, on different days. And that was another thing where if Ms. Evans felt that um, she needed to have more time or this was inadequate, um, she could have gone to her doctor uh, e either before or afterwards, and she, she never did that. And the reason that she got a half point on November 9, um, you just have to look at the appendix at 140, which is cited by Evans to understand why. She would have been approved for two full days and two half days. And when you look at the 30-day time frame prior to November 9, she had used a full FMLA day on October 11 and a full FMLA day on November 8, thereby exhausting her full day allocation. Um, and when she took a full day on November 9, she was only authorized for a half day. Accordingly, she was uh, awarded a half a point. And she never contested that. And she never went to her doctor to say, gee, I should have had um, more FMLA time. Um, with regard to um, the alleged questions of fact and pretext that have been identified, um, Judge Loken, you, you had noted that you know that's really not evidence of, of pretext. Uh, she, in fact, did have two uh, final written warnings dating back to November. Um, and it was undisputed that when she was absent in, in March, uh, she had incurred her 10th uh, point. Um, and when she was terminated on March 27th, that was the first business day after her absences. Uh, so, Judge Loken, I think you're absolutely correct that, you know, that is not evidence of pretext. It's not discriminatory motive. Um, and uh, there is there's no case law that says that just because you didn't hand somebody a final written warning uh, on the day before your termination that that's evidence of pretext. There's also a claim that CRC inconsistently applied its attendance policies. Uh, Evans has failed to identify any similarly situated employee who had attendance record like her and who was not fired. She even admits that she, uh, in her own words, I went over on occurrences and they had to treat everyone the same. Uh, and she had chronic attendance issues before her autoimmune uh, disease was um, diagnosed. Uh, in 2014, she was at eight points. In 2015, uh, she was at, at seven points. They make a, a claim that CRC lied about their her attendance points, but 
these alleged lies are simply Evans denying that she had a conversation with Nancy Morrison on September 15th, during which Ms. Morrison told her she had nine attendance points. And if you look at uh, our appendix 89-90, it clearly shows that during the nine-month time frame through September 2016, Evans had indeed incurred nine points. And so Evans conveniently ignores the point that she received on January 25th of 2016. Um, and it's really important that um, it's the explanation for termination that has to be unworthy about belief. Uh, and, and just because there's a question of fact about uh, who said what and when, um, questions of fact are not converted into lies simply because plaintiff has chosen to characterize them that way. But when you get to the core of it, uh, CRC has never faltered from stating that Evans was terminated on March of 2017 for chronic absenteeism. And some conversation in seven months before termination, which may or may not have occurred, is irrelevant to that. Uh, she also claims that their 30-day uh, rolling policy didn't exist. But Evans admitted in her deposition that she knew about the policy. She also ignores the email that she received from Human Resources, which is at um, our appendix uh, 87 and appendix 140, that tells her and explains the rolling 30-day uh, policy. She claims that there were now, counsel. Would you counsel? Would you explain for me the rolling 30-day policy versus the rolling 12-month policy? Yeah. So uh, CRC had had a policy that. Um, when you're taking FMLA, they'll, they'll look at it on a, a rolling 30-day time frame so that if you're certified... Just tell me what that means. Give me, give me any, why, how does it affect these calculations? Nobody explains that in the briefs that I could figure out. Yeah. So it, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. So she was um, uh, certified for two full FMLA days per month. And so if she took one... Uh, FMLA day in the end of October, and then she took another full FMLA day at the beginning of November, she would have exhausted those two full days during that rolling 30-day time frame. So um, there, there's not a hard cutoff just because you turn the calendar, you look at a 30-day time frame because that's what her doctor certified, say, during a 30-day time frame, during uh, then uh, you get two full days and two half days. Is that, is that the company policy uh, uh, for all FMLA applicants, or was that just something employed for her? No, that, that's for everyone, and she's not identified anyone who had a, had a different um, um, experience. Is that 30-day policy, was that in writing and, and supplied to the employees? Uh, yes. In fact, um, uh, Ms. Evans was personally given... Um, the policy in, uh, I believe it's Appendix 140, where they explained the 30-day FMLA policy to her. And she admitted in her deposition that she knew about the 30-day rolling policy. Is there, what is the, the benefit of having a 30-day rolling policy rather than a calendar month policy? Um, in some ways, it can actually benefit uh, the, the employee. Um, because you could have a situation where um, you have a, a lot of absences uh, at, at the beginning of the month, but then you don't have any later on. But then you, you turn the calendar and, and, and then, then you would reload. 
So it, depending on the situation, it could be actually beneficial to, to the employee to have a rolling 30 days as opposed to a hard and fast, you know, these are the, the times you get for this month. Um, with regard to um, uh, talking about sh the shifting reasons uh, that they claimed that uh, existed, there are a couple of cases that uh, this court has actually been involved in, the uh, Baradois Mid-Dakota case and also the Button versus uh, Dakota case, uh, Judge Loken and Judge Smith. Uh, in the Button case, which was from June 30th of, of this year, the court said that shifting explanations for failure to follow policy failed because of a lack of sufficient evidence to cast doubt on the legitimate non-discriminatory reason. And in the uh, Baradois Mid-Dakota Clinic case, uh, Judge Loken, you indicated that shifting explanations were insufficient because the employer never wavered from its view that interpersonal difficulties were the central reason. To be sure, he had other problems, but it never shifted his focus from the main one perhaps using different words to describe it. And in this case, we have never wavered from the, uh, the position that she had exhausted all of her, um, uh, or that she had uh, violated the attendance policy. The uh, get out of jail free policy, if you read it, it doesn't apply to her um, and she wouldn't have been able to use it. She can't use it to uh, get out of the termination. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I'll, uh, it looks like my time is up. Unless you have questions, I will uh, close out. And I believe you should affirm the, the well-reasoned opinion of Judge Montgomery. Thank you, Mr. Stenmo. Mr. Fiebuber. Thank you. Um, the rolling 30-day policy <clears throat> was uh, extremely confusing and it was not explained anywhere or set out anywhere in print. Uh, Ms. Evans denied knowing about it or, or understanding it for that matter. And an example is uh, uh, November. She used FMLA twice in the month but was uh, assessed points on November 9th. That's not a fair policy and, and it's very confusing. Um, with respect to the FMLA leave on July 11th, she was originally approved for that. The FMLA call-in form, which is at Appendix 105, shows that she was approved, and she was unapproved later. Um, there was no explanation about how half points could only be used on one day, or on two days, but not one day, but yet she was assessed points. Um, I deferred to the balance of the arguments in the brief uh, that we submitted. And see my thank you, Mr. Fieber. Thank you. Thank you. Court wishes to thank both counsel for your presence before the court in our virtual forum uh, to uh, get our, our hearings processed. We appreciate the briefing that you've submitted, and uh, we'll take the case under advisement and render decision in due course. Thank you both. Thank you, Your Honor. Be excused.